All right, let me pull my stuff up. And today we're going to look at Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, so if you have that. All right, let's bow our heads one more time. Father in heaven, thank you for your love and mercy. Please guide us and direct us. And uh, just be with me as I uh, speak today. And thank you in your name, amen. So today is actually titled Plato and Rocks. Um, and our key verse is Romans 10, 1 through 4, uh, and I use the ESV translation. Those who were not my people, I will call my people, and her who was not beloved, I will call beloved. And in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they will be called sons of the living God. I want to continue on our journey through Romans, as I've said. Today we are going to look at Romans 10, and I want us to look at what is called the gospel mind. And that has uh, five parts to it. The gospel mind is in submission, surrender, acknowledgement, uh, answers, and action. And I will be giving a pop quiz at the end of this, so you will be graded. But I am going to need to read because I believe in reading scripture. So if you have your electronic Bibles, you can open them up with me. But Romans chapter 10. We need to recognize as Christians today that our DNA ties us all the way back to the early church and the early believers that Paul and the other apostles spoke to and were a part of. The biblical books were written for, uh, from the Torah. The prophets or the Psalms uh, were often read aloud. You would read the letters that you would receive from the apostles as the early church up front in the gatherings of a home. As you can imagine, we're pretty much doing house church here. And so reading scripture is a big part of that. Honestly, we've kind of internalized our spiritual walks in scripture. And it's hard to believe that actually uh, most of this would have been read out loud. Um, that's why when Jesus opens his ministry, you know, he uh, gets up in the synagogue and reads from Isaiah. And he says, now it, this has been fulfilled. Because if you go to a Jewish service, it's very much uh, the community is square like this. And you sit there and they read from the word. And you, that's pretty much all the service is, is you're listening to the word of God preached to you. And that's how Paul and the early apostles would have uh, felt about um, when they shared scripture uh, with each other. But today we are going to uh, look at some in-depth verses. We're going to read Romans 1 through 21, the whole book. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to their own. They did not submit to God's righteousness, for Christ is the end of the law, for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart, Who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the abyss, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead? But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. 
For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Some Bibles uh, translate that as the gospel. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? And Paul says, indeed they have. For their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. And that is the Israelites that um, he is talking about. Paul again expresses a deep, and, uh, a deep passion and desire for the Jewish nation to be saved. This reflects uh, Romans 5, which if you want to listen to is up on the website. He is even willing to give up his own salvation and place for, with Jesus uh, in order for the Israelites to be saved. In Romans chapter 5, in the opening verses, he talks about his, his friends and relationships in Israel. And he says, I would even take on being accursed. That's a pretty big deal, knowing who Paul is, that he would give up his own salvation in order to save those around him from Israel. Can you imagine that? Would you give up your own salvation so others could be saved? No. I think we can all admit that's, that's a tough choice to make. He wants to save the people that have hunted him down and persecuted the believers in Jesus. He wants to give up his own salvation and position for his enemies. He wants to give up though, uh, his own salvation for those who were once friends, who are now seeking to kill him so that way they can be saved. This is the mindset and the attitude of the gospel. I'm willing to give up my security. I'm willing to give up my comfort and my blessings. I'm willing to give up and sacrifice personally, even if it hurts, so that people, even my worst enemies, who may be actively trying uh, to kill me, may be saved. This is contrary to our mindset today and our attitude in the world today. Today, there are many things of apathy, like I still am baffled by that kid that got away from stealing and, and, and robbing and all throughout the United States, and he got by uh, for the first time in history uh, by chronic apathy, and the jo judge let him loose because he was a wealthy kid that was raised in a wealthy family, and so he was able to prove that he had apathy and didn't know what was right and wrong, and he had no emotions towards people. And I thought, where was that when I was growing up? Our mindset often today is this. We will give up some of our blessings, security, happiness, and safety as long as I have provided for my family, as long as my retirement is set, as long as my car insurance is paid, as long as I've paid off all my loans and debts, I have clothes, I have food, I have education. As long as I am set, then I will give. I will go and share the gospel. After I will go and share the gospel, and what is it doing to me today? Stop it. I'm going to send Bill Gates a thing. You're the devil. It, what is it doing? There we go. 
After it, we learn that we will go and share the gospel only if. I will go and share the gospel then, after I have given. I want you to remember this. Hesitation in living out the gospel shows a lack of manifestation of the gospel actually rooted in your life. It is plain and simple. Hesitation in living out the gospel shows a lack of manifestation of the gospel in your life. Faith goes and does. Pseudo-faith, that fake faith that comes in a comfortable bundle of routine policies and terms, that faith waits. How can a nation that has prophets, miracles, the temple, memorizing the Torah, not recognize God, as Paul says in the beginning? Because they looked at the law, they looked at the Torah, they looked at the prophets and the other writings of what we know to be the Old Testament as how to be saved or how to be loved, blessed, and found favorable before God. They didn't look at the promise running through each and every one of the Old Testament laws and the promise that ran through the warnings of the Old Testament laws. The promise, the hope, the redemption, the repair and reunification with God was never about the law. Psalms 51, 16 through 17 demonstrates that promise and the point. The hope of the gospel never rested in the law. And in Psalm 51, 16 through 17, it says this, For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken and contrite heart. A broken and contrite spirit, O God, you will not despise. How can a nation that has prophets, miracles, the temple, memorizing the Torah, not recognize God? Because of their mindset and their attitudes. How many of you ever stop to think when spending time in the Bible? Man, if these people miss the point, I need to be extra careful to miss, not miss the point. I've often asked that uh, of my students when we'll sit there and have discussions. And they'll say, I don't understand how they miss the point. I'm like, well, if they miss the point and they actually crucified Jesus, we should be cautious ourselves. They spend hours memorizing and studying the scripture. We spend minutes. Jesus stared them right in the face. God confronting his people, performing miracles, healing, demonstrating his authority over all creation, both natural and supernatural, and yet they had a mindset and an attitude that would not allow them to see or hear God. You and I have to take that seriously, because Israel's mindset and attitude wasn't just confined to them, it is something that we all fall into. We look at the Old Testament and we start pulling the do's and don'ts out of it. We are careful. You know, you don't want to mix up those civil, those moral, and those ceremonial laws. The Jews and Paul never looked at the law with the idea of three different types of laws. The law was the law entirely. When it comes to us, we will be the first ones to point out grace and mercy, love and forgiveness. But when it comes to others, we will start pointing out piercings, clothing, (coughs) ink, diets, words, practices. Honestly, we will start acting like certain things are in the law of Moses when they aren't even there. We put ourselves under the law, even under a form of the law, because we know that we can achieve that. We can eat certain certain things. We can worship on certain days. We can avoid stealing, lying, cheating, murdering. These are all quantitative things that we can achieve. They are measurable, and they make us feel good about ourselves, and they set us apart. There are two types of righteousness. There is law righteousness, being found right by following the Old Testament law, sets out, and then there is God's righteousness that Paul addresses. What is God's righteousness? Jesus. Jesus is the quantitative manifestation of God's righteousness. Yet Israel had to follow the law 
because it pointed to Jesus, the fulfillment of the promise made to Abraham and David that someone would come from their lineage and save us from the brokenness of sin, the pain of separation from God, and would unify all humanity under God as sons and daughters, once we chose to believe. Israel was stuck on law righteousness, and we often have the same mindset today. We go to church, we give our tithe, we put our kids in church programs, we do our best to watch, speak, listen, and be around wholesome Christian content. Some Christians even go so far as to not eat in certain things, all because they have law righteous as our attitude, focus, and mindset. We get addicted to being visibly different from the world. We get addicted to feeling better about ourselves from the achievement that following the law gives us. But it absolutely, without any doubt, completely hinders our discipleship journey. In fact, law righteousness blinds us from seeing God's righteousness in Jesus. We need to understand that the law in its entirety, all of its moral, ceremonial, and civil sections, you may want to break it up into. Every single one of them, do's and the do-nots, point to Jesus, who is the originator of the law in the first place. The only reason why the law uh, matters was because of Jesus. When Israelites would go and sacrifice, celebrating feasts and observe the statutes of the law, they were supposed to be participating in a way that said, we are doing these things because of the promise of a Messiah. We are doing these things because of the promise made to Abraham. We are demonstrating our faith in that promise. Israel did not submit to Jesus' authority, but hung on the law's authority, which is ironic, and Paul is actually being ironic here in Romans chapter 10, because Jesus was seen as the originator of the law. We see in Scripture that Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega. That is the first letter of the Greek alphabet and the last letter of the Greek alphabet and everything in between. Jesus is the originator of creation. He is the originator of who you and I are as individuals. He is the originator of the law, and he is the purpose of that law. He is everything. He owns it. He owns you and I regardless of who and what we are. That's what we saw last week. God is God. He can do and he does what he wants. He is greater than I. Really, that is the core of all our problems. Submission, the first part. Israel had a zeal for God and God's law, but they crucified God. Israel had a zeal for God's law, but they did not submit to the purpose of God's law. Submission requires surrender. Surrender requires acknowledgement of our position, and God's acknowledgement requires an answer to God. That answer to God requires action without hesitation. So as we discussed today, submission, surrender, acknowledgement, answers, and action. Who are you submitted to? Because we can trick ourselves, like Israel did, into thinking that our zeal for God and God's law, doing the things of God, are evidences of a saved life. That we have achieved what we were supposed to achieve. But all we are doing is looking at ourselves. And we will crucify Jesus every time, all in the name of God. When Jesus came, he manifested God's righteousness and ended the purpose of the law. The law pointed to him, so he fulfilled the purpose of the law. So, I, one day I was at the gym and this was bugging me. And this is not at all Plato. And I do not know where that quarter went that I just had. The upper pocket? See, that's why you keep me on track. It's not in there. Maybe it's in the other one. But 
the argument is always this. What do we do with the law? Seriously, I can't get it together today. Do you have a penny? What do we do with the law? Because there is that verse in Matthew that says, I have not come to abolish the law, but I've come to fulfill the law. The law still matters. And if you look at it, Jesus was originator of the law, correct? Jesus gave the law. We, we know God, the Trinity, God gave the law. Where? Whatever. And the whole argument is, you have one side that says, if we do away with the law, then we have nothing. And I'm not saying, and, and most theologians will say, we're not doing away with the law. But what Jesus says when he says he came to fulfill the law, and what Paul is saying here, is imagine that this quarter is the law. Okay, This is Jesus. Gumball thinking putty. If I were to take, and it goes better with a rock, and I should have grabbed a rock. If I throw a rock at someone, what is it going to do? It's going to hurt. I mean, you could kill someone. You have to think of the law like that. The law is, is substance. It's there. It's not meant to, to do anything others, but then it's going to make you hurt. Because if you look at the law, it's a bunch of do's and do nots, right? If you do this, this is the consequences. If you do this, you have to go make a sacrifice. There's nothing about the law that's like, oh, man, that's really delightful. I, I really appreciate that, that I have to go slaughter a little baby lamb that I've raised. I, I've never understood that. But what Jesus is saying is this. This law still matters. But since I am originator of the law, what happens if I were to take that rock and now it's wrapped in Jesus? Does the law still exist? Yes. But what is wrapped around it? Jesus. Jesus fulfilled everything. A lot of the the questions surround face ID, you're going to kill me, is why, why Saturday? Why keep Saturday? Well, for one thing is the question is, I can prove, and, and history shows us, that Jesus kept the Sabbath. Did he not? He did. So Jesus, in his observance of the Sabbath and keeping the law, he observed the Sabbath. But then Jesus takes the Sabbath that became a burden. I hope you realize that there are over 250 in the Talmud rules for keeping the Sabbath, and they don't agree with each other. You had different houses of rabbis. One would say, oh, it's okay to pull the ox out of the ditch. One would say, you can't pull the ox out of the ditch because it's too heavy, but you can pull a sheep out of the ditch. They're contradictory. But then Jesus comes along, and one of the most famous things talking about Sabbath is he says, Sabbath was made for who? And not man for the... Meaning, he's saying, you guys have the law, and you guys have messed it up. You've made it a bigger rock that just bashes people down, and it's heavy. But when you wrap the law in Jesus, what do you get? You get love and forgiveness. And it doesn't hurt so much, right? It's just silly putty. That's how we have to look at the law. When we look at the law and we see, okay, how can we see this law through Jesus? If I say, have no other gods before me, who comes first? Jesus, the, the Trinity. When I, look at, when I, when I look at at life and I say, okay, the Ten Commandments, Keep, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Who do I look at as my example? Jesus. Jesus. When I say, don't uh, look at your neighbor's wife and, and commit adultery, would Jesus approve of that? No. Jesus did not, despite all the conspiracy theories. So that is hopefully a clear illustration of the law still exists, but it's wrapped, encapsulated in Jesus. We aren't doing away with the law. I want to stress this enough. 
And it is good and okay to look at the law, to look at the law and see its example. It's good to look at the law and there are civil examples. God had clean and unclean meats. They're a great idea for us to follow, right? When I submit to Jesus in every area, I am surrendering everything to Jesus. My family, my spouse, my finances, my career, my education, my hopes, my dreams, my loves, and even my life. By doing so, I am acknowledging that he is God, that he gave a promise, that he called us to more, and that requires an answer. That answer is to go out, living Jesus, and actively sharing about Jesus. And this action, that evidence of our faith, our belief, and desire to be saved. And this is found in submission, surrender, acknowledge, answer, and action. Jesus dwells among us and pours his spirit into us. Thus, God's righteousness is always present among us. The living people are not going to know that the kingdom of God has come unless we go out there and live in a different way. When we live the law, we get exactly what Christendom in North America is facing, and a greater majority of Europe as well. There isn't a difference between believers and non-believers often. It isn't because they aren't living differently. It is because they aren't living Jesus today. The world is full of religion. People forget that Jesus did not come to establish a religion, but to establish truth. When we create anything outside of Jesus, when we add to it, when we make traditions and practices necessary, we create religion. When we promote and present Jesus, we demonstrate truth. The world is used to religion. The world is used to hypocrisy. The world is used to lying and cheating. The world is used to laws. The world is not used to the love that Jesus demonstrated and called us to. If we actually loved, if we actually went out and followed and pursued like Jesus in our lives and in our communities, we wouldn't be dying. We wouldn't be uh, facing a problem and not having enough room in our homes, in our schools, and in our churches. And I'm going to hammer this home. If we submitted to God's love, surrendered to God's love, acknowledged God's love, answered with God's love, and we acted in God's love, the world would be a much different place. The church would be a far different place. And it is achievable. It isn't just an idea. We know that historically that living according to the Gospels, focusing on Christ and acknowledging God's righteousness is achievable and has power because we are here today standing in a church. Compare Christian history with Israel's history. There has to be a power behind it. There has to be truth behind it. Through all the bad, there has to be a guiding truth and love keeping the church steady from the days of the apostles as there is today. Don't think that I'm up here as some kind of Paul. Be careful when holding Paul up to a certain standard also, because there isn't a difference between any of us. When God looks down, he doesn't see an apostle and not an apostle. Jesus wants to judge and sees, and he doesn't see the difference between a Baptist and not a Baptist. Jesus won't see someone and see a sinner who submitted and a sinner who didn't submit. Jesus looks down and sees his children. He loves differently, and he loves each and every one of us. But when we choose to submit and surrender and acknowledge and answer and act, we are choosing Christ, and Christ then chooses us. I've struggled, and I'll be honest, as is my human nature, and I've wanted to be comfortable. I've wanted to just look at the Bibles as do's and don'ts and achieve those and check them off and make my, that myself safe. A perfect example of that is, have you guys heard of Ravi Zacharias? 
Well, he was a prominent Christian a couple of years ago, and he had several ministries on TBN and you know some of these Christian websites. Um, and he would speak on Christian uh, radios. And I know at Union they actually invited Ravi Zacharias there, and some of the um, like. There's three Christian colleges got together, and they had Ravi Zacharias um, come and speak. Well, it came out after he died. He owned massage parlors that he was involved with trafficking and he was also involved with abuse and, and other things. And also it came out, his workers said that his work environment at his ministry was one of the most toxic places and responsible for people walking away that they'd ever had. When we follow the law and we don't have Jesus, we get exactly that. We can look great, we can smell great, but we won't be great. We have to have the gospel mindset. How can I submit this day to Jesus? devotions and pray uh, time are set aside how can i surrender my life to jesus be open to what god presents to you that day invite and allow the holy spirit to lead how can i acknowledge jesus in my daily life by discipling myself my spouse my children and my family by being active in the church body involved in a small group inviting your co-workers and strangers to come and join you how can you answer the call of jesus by studying, understanding, and spreading the Gospels everywhere and anywhere you can. What actions can you take today? By inviting and leaning on the Holy Spirit in your life. By realizing life isn't perfect and meeting people where they're at. By pushing your comfort zones. By self-reflection and weighing your life versus the life and teachings of Jesus. Do they add up? Whatever doesn't add up, change or add into your life from the Gospels. If we don't love like Jesus, if we don't live like Jesus, no one is going to take Jesus seriously. If we don't love like Jesus, and if we don't live like Jesus, no one is going to see the freedom from the law and experience the freedom from sin and liberation and redemption that the Gospels have in fixing our brokenness. The Gospel isn't just simply a story or a message or a good news. The Gospel is something to be obeyed, as Paul points out here. God humbled the Jews by being, bringing Gentiles into salvation. And, all, and he will humble us as a church body if we do not have the gospel mindset, if we do not obey the gospels. Let's bow our heads. Father, I ask you to come and just speak to our hearts. In all the chaos and uncertainty uh, and just everything, we thank you that we are here um, gathering to worship to you today. We ask for your blessings, and thank you, Lord, and be with us this week. Help us have the gospel mindset of submission, surrender, acknowledgement, and action. And thank you, Lord, in your name. Amen.